This is Truth Encounter, and one of our major purposes is to look honestly at what the scriptures actually do say about God. In the Old Testament, there is one man who got to speak to him face to face. His name was Moses, and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he shares with us about his experience. As our Truth Encounter study leader Dave Wordson observes in his opening statement, it is time for the modern church to refocus and remember what the true God is actually like. You see, one of the greatest needs of the American church is we don't fear God anymore. We don't reverence him. We forget that he's not a doting grandfather. He's not some flabby mother nature that you worry about your butter. He is the God of Mount Sinai. Now, how did the children of Israel respond to him? Look what it says in verse 23. When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me. I want all the men to look really carefully at that. All the leading what? It's not politically correct. But I want you to notice that from page one of Genesis until the book of Revelation, men are supposed to take leading roles. And at Mount Sinai, they were playing leading roles. If this was enacted, you wouldn't be able to find a man. It would be the women that would go to Moses and say, man, our family's going to be destroyed here. You need to do something. Incredible changes have taken place. There's been profound changes. I'm not talking about abuse of men. I'm not talking about men that have terrible tempers and they get drunk half the time and they beat women to smithereens. It's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about men who realize that they've been created by God. And God has given them families. That's why you're supposed to honor fathers and mothers. Remember the message we had about fathers turning their hearts back towards home. One of the greatest needs of our church today and of all of our society today is for men to assume their representative role as leaders within families and within churches. In the nation of Israel, they were to be leaders among the nation of Israel. This goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Moses said the work was too heavy for him. He couldn't carry the load. He couldn't handle all the judgments that needed to be made. It said, so God said, Moses, I don't want you to carry this all by yourself. Choose some men, some men that are set apart from me, some men that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are filled with wisdom. And the Spirit of God came upon them, just like he came upon Moses. And now those men, feeling the terror of the righteousness of God, they go before Moses and they represent their families and their people before the leader of their people. And these leaders say to Moses, and they said to you, and you said, the Lord, this is verse 24, the Lord our God has shown us his glory, his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man, that human beings, both men and women, can live even if God speaks to them. Notice the different tenor we take for granted that god speaks to us in his holy word but these people are just awed by the reality that they've heard the voice of god and they're still alive 
Today we have seen that even if a man can, he can live, even if God speaks with them. Look at verse 25. But now, why should we die? This great fire, this judicial, fiery righteousness of God will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survived? Go near. You can just hear him begging Moses. Please, Moses, go near. And you listen to all the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. Now get these next words. We will listen and we will obey. You know, the children of Israel, a good deal of the time, are what kind of an example? During most of the Old Testament, the children of Israel are not that good an example. I mean, they're blowing it more than they're winning. But this chapter is one chapter where their heart is really in tune with the heart of God. And they're really a positive example. You say, Dave, how do I get close to God? How can I live a life? Now that I've come to Christ, now that Christ has come to live in my heart, how can I live close to God? Listen and obey. I'm going to say that again. You say, Dave, how can, I'm asked this all the time. How do you get close to God? How do you get to know him? Somebody will say, Dave, you know, I've read the book of Deuteronomy. You know, I've read it, you know, watching TV, and I kind of fit it in in between times, and, or when I was half awakened, but I don't get anything out of it like you do. How did you get out of it what you get out of it? You've got to listen. You know, listening is one of the hardest things for me to do. I had to listen early this morning. I had to listen. It's an incredible thing, you know, as you listen, and, and listening is as you're reading the Bible. You see, reading is just like listening. Reading is learning to listen to the page, what's written on a page. That's all it is. It's exactly the same skills, only instead of hearing the sound with your ears, you hear them with your eyes. Please get a hold of that. That's going to totally change the way that you get into the Word of God if you'll start to realize that it's, it's like listening with my eyes. And you want to pay attention. You want to hear the way God thinks, the way He feels, and the way He decides about things. When you're listening to Him talk in this chapter, you want to go there to Mount Sinai. That's all that I'm trying to help you to do today. I'm just trying to paint big word pictures that make you go to that desert place, that make you go to that mountain. I try to use some modern imagery from my own life that make me feel the dread, that make me feel the, the awesome power of a righteous God. That's what you need to do. And I want to tell you something. You can do it right at home, right in your own house, and you need to do it every single day. You need to listen every day. I want to tell you something. I don't always hear the voice. I don't always hear the thunder and lightning. I don't always feel the love. But you got to stay there and listen. This morning, I was, as I was listening, this whole idea started gripping me much more powerfully than it has in a long time. And it was just listening, just looking at the passage and, and hearing with my eyes and letting the Spirit of God within me teach me. And that's my gift as a pastor teacher, but I want, I want to assure you with, with the book of 1 John, you don't need teachers. Every one of you can hear the voice of God. Now, you do need those that are gifted by the Lord, but you're not totally dependent upon them. Listen. Learn to listen every day. You'll never, never, never grow in your Christian faith until you learn to personally listen for yourself. The second thing is just as important. You can't just listen. 
you got to obey. You need to ask the Lord. Now, if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit has come to live in your life. And the whole point of the new covenant is, is that you've been given a new heart. You've been given a new power. And as you listen, unlike the children of Israel who are trying to obey something that was outside them, as born-again believers, we can listen and we can obey from a heart that's inside us. Because through Christ, if you've come to know the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection, a new person, a new heart, a new capacity has come to dwell within you. And you need to listen and obey. That's what that struggle is in your life when your conscience really, really bothers you. And when the Holy Spirit begins to really turn the screws down on you, when you're not obeying, listen to that voice and come back and obey. We all need to help each other to do that. Listen and obey. So the Lord God responds to the people. He hears what they said. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, and I look at the pen and I said, now wait a minute, God. This was a conversation that was going on between Moses and the people. But who is listening in on all of our conversations, according to the book of Deuteronomy? Who overhears everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do? Who's inside of our mind? God is. It's such a simple thought. We all know it. In theology, we have a real fancy word for it, omniscience. Omni, all science, all knowledge. He knows everything. But oh, how it helps us in our relationship with him if we begin to realize he overhears everything we're thinking. So all of our thoughts and everything are really in relationship to him. The only issue is whether or not we're going to recognize it or not. And the Lord says, Moses, I've overheard what the people have been saying. And for once, he says, this is good. I have heard what these people are saying, and everything they are, they are saying, it is good. And then God says this, and this is what gets me about the biblical revelation of God. We have this awesome, mighty, powerful God, but now we have his heart. Behind the, the thunder and the lightning, unlike the wizard of the Wizard of Oz, you don't pull the screen away and have this little, weasley little man that's pulling strings, and it's all just magic. When you pull this curtain away from Mount Sinai, you have the ultimate God with a heart that really cares for every one of you. And you know what the, that Lord God of heaven says to every one of you today? He says, oh, oh, I wish. My heart desire is that your hearts would always be inclined to reverence me and to keep all my commandments always so that you might, it might go well with them and their children forever. Now look at that verse really carefully. God wants you to listen to his voice today. He doesn't care less about whether you listen to me or not. I don't care either. But I really do care whether you listen to the voice of God. Because every one of us are on a journey. Every one of us are on a pathway. And it's going to go to different directions, different places, different destinations. And the ultimate Lord God of heaven is saying, Oh, I wish that the children of Israel always had a heart that would reverence me enough to listen and obey and therefore turn away from evil. We're going to learn as we go on in the book of Deuteronomy that the essence of the fear of the Lord is that it causes you to turn away from what's wrong. It causes you to obey and it causes me to obey. Now, why does God want us to do that? Because God wants life and happiness and joy for every one of you. But I want you to notice that God didn't say, I'm going to make the people obey. 
I'm going to force them to obey. I'm going to be a parent in heaven. I'm going to be the ultimate daddy in heaven that locks his kids in. They're not going to ever get out of, of my jurisdiction. They're going to be able to just, I'm going to totally control their lives. God, I didn't do that. If you wanted to go out and get totally plastered on Friday night, I doubt very seriously that as you were driving to a club on Friday night, suddenly an angel appeared next to you and said, naughty, naughty, don't go to that club. You're going to get drunk. You could get killed. God might do that to you, but I doubt it. He'll probably let you go right on. You go to get in bed with the wrong woman or the wrong man, very few angels are going to come in and get between you and go, get out of the way. You're breaking God's commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't you know you're breaking the command of God? God's not going to do that. In fact, if we had testimony time, some of you that have wandered away from God, you could stand up and say, no, God didn't do that. Why not? Because God wants your heart. You see, if God zapped us every time we did wrong and God totally controlled our life, there's no relationship in that. That's what parents start to learn when their kids grow up. You can't control them anymore. And if you try to control them, there's no relationship. That's built into the universe. You just can't control and generate love. In order for there to be love, and I don't know why it's this way, but it is this way. In order for there to be love, there has to be choice. And so God, the ultimate, ultimate father, tells you his heart. He says, oh, I wish every one of you would have a heart for me. But as we study the rest of the history of the Old Testament, and you say, well, Dave, did they have a heart for him? Some did. Most did not. Did they live a long time in the land? Not usually. In fact, the story of this nation is the, is, is the most painful the most agonizing story of human existence. It's, it's just like the Bosnian story. It's just like the terrible story of Somalia. The history of God's people is a history of the weeping, suffering, dying Jew. Why? The Old Testament answers that question because you didn't always have a heart for me. And either do we. We're all just like the wandering Jew. And God says, oh, that your heart, oh, that your heart would always respond to the Ten Commandments. Oh, that your heart would always follow me. Oh, that your heart would always reverence me, that you'd fear me enough that you'd be afraid to do wrong, that you would do the right thing from your heart. And God wishes that, but he doesn't force it upon us. And he tells them in verse 30, go that, tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws or to teach them to follow in the land that I'm giving to you as a possession. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you to do not turn aside to the right or the left. Whenever you get away from God, you're turning aside. It's always to the right. You can get off to the right, you can get off to the left. Walk in all the way the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. It's a great dream. It's the Old Testament dream. And we're at the early part of that dream. This is a great time. It's just like it has all the feel of the celebration of a marriage. And all the expectation is the new couple walks out and they're going to live happily ever after. Only as the pages of Deuteronomy unfold and as the pages of Joshua unfold, as the prophets begin to accuse the people and as we're going to fill in the history. You say, Dave, what's the Old Testament about? The Old Testament is about tracing the history of how the people responded to, oh, if only they had a heart that would obey me. 
And the reason I want them to have a heart that would obey me is that I want them to live a long time. And I want them to draw near to me, and I want them to obey me. And yet the history of the Old Testament is time and time again, just like us, that people turn away. And I want you to catch something. The only person at Sinai that could get close to God, that could get inside the fire or get close to the fire would be a better, accurate way of saying it. The only one who could enter the darkness, the only one that could get close to that thunderous voice was only one man. His name was Moses. Everybody else was in their tents. And that's the story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is this awesome revelation of a God that only a very few people can really get close to. Because he is so righteous, he is so mighty, he is so powerful. He dwells in unapproachable darkness. And anyone that's sinful, anybody that has any impurity, anybody that has a disease of evil upon their life can't get close. Only a few select, select ones like Moses can be the mediator. And so all the people, as we close this chapter, all the people are, are back in their tents. All the people are back away from God, and Moses is a representative. And we could end right there. If we ended right there, we would be in a religion of distance, a religion where we caught a glimpse of the great, awesome, transcendent other one, the great spirit that's out there somewhere, but he's so different than us, and he's, he's unapproachable, and we can never totally please him. And some great religious teachers like Moses were able to get close for just a little while. And they told us what his word was, and we try to obey it, but we disobey it. But all of us live in our tents. And the tragedy is that we're all dying in our tents. And that's why John chapter 1 tells us about another revelation. It's not Mount Sinai this time. It's not the awesomeness of Niagara Falls thundering into death and destruction. It's not the fire of a Gifford Hill blast furnace. It's not the it's not awesome misty fog that, where everybody's lost. This time we read in John chapter 114 an amazing verse. It says this, The word became flesh and he set up his tent among us. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom it was said. He was the one who comes after me, but he has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Just like the God of Mount Sinai, he wants to bless us in the land. For the law, the law was mediated, the law was given, the law was represented to us by Moses. Grace and truth have been mediated by the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. All the people of Israel at Mount Sinai had a return to their tents. And Moses represented the awesome God of Mount Sinai to them. The pages of the New Testament open. And the Lord God of heaven, the Son of God, the one who was face to face with God from all of eternity, became a little baby. You know why? He wanted to get inside your tent. You see, Jesus came down off the mountains of heaven, the unapproachable distant mountain, 
And it said that there was no former comeliness that we would ever see anything extraordinary about him. The thing about Jesus Christ, the great stumbling block, is that he's just like us. He's more normal than the most normal person in this room. You say, Dave, if Jesus really was a son of God, why did all the Jewish hierarchy, how did they miss him? He was so ordinary. He just lived in a tent. He just came to enter our tent. The world has stars. A friend of ours that was with us in East Texas uh, was telling us their son and daughter goes to a church the other day, and the other Sunday, his, uh, his son-in-law hit his daughter and said, shh, don't look now, don't look now. Shh, shh, shh. Troy Aikman, Troy Aikman's back there. <laughs> the preacher, everybody, he preached the whole sermon to the backs of people's heads. Because we're all into the stars. You all want to follow a star. And I want to share something with you. The stumbling block of Jesus Christ is that he didn't come as a star. It's the great stumbling block of the cross. There was no calmliness or form, no, nothing unusual about him that we would desire him. You know why? Because most of you can't sing like Michael Jackson. Most of you don't have that kind of talent. Your feet don't go that fast. Most of you just don't have that kind of talent. And I'm probably not. Joshua, it says he's going to do it. Maybe he will. But I'm probably never going to jump a foot above the basket. I just really, I'm still working. But I really doubt that I'll ever soar a foot and a half and go, you know, swish. Most of us are just ordinary non-stars, just ordinary people. The Son of God became ordinary for you. Because there's another mountain of darkness. There's another mountain where another voice cried out. And it was the voice of God. Only this time the voice of God said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Say, why did it get dark at Mount Sinai? Because all that unapproachableness, all that destructive power of Mount Sinai, just like the, the might of, of drowning a victim in Niagara Falls, just like that. On Mount Calvary, it became dark because the one who came to enter your tent stretched out his arms and he took all the darkness that you ever need to see Oh, I wish some of you could feel the agony of, of European existential scholars as they, as they speak about the darkness. They speak about what it's like to really be a modern man that doesn't know where he's going. And it's totally dark. And there's no feeling. And there's no hope. And there's nothing. And none of the toys can provide any answers at all. And they stand on the brink of eternity and they look in and there's just nothing. But the fires of destruction, or maybe just nothingness, maybe just total darkness forever. But Jesus comes to you and says, I don't want you to face any darkness. I don't want you ever to have to be afraid of the fire. I don't want you to ever feel that you're just living in a misty cloud where you don't know where you're going. Because he says on the cross of Calvary, it became dark because I became dark for you. He who knew no sin 
became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in Christ, as a group of believers that have trusted him, if you've done so, one day you're going to be able to walk into the fires of Shekinah glory. You're going to be able to walk into the radiating light. You're going to walk out of a realm of darkness and you'll say goodbye to darkness forever. And you will not be consumed like the children of Israel were so afraid of. You will find out that you're home. And you're going to live in a world that I can't even describe forever and ever. And it's because the word, remember the voice of Mount Sinai, the ten words? And the people heard the thunder and they heard the moral commandments of God that summed everything up? That word, that revelation of God, fleshed himself out in just an ordinary person. And intellectuals will always stumble over that foolishness. The wise men and women of this world will always laugh at the humble Galilean. But a few will listen, and they will fall in love, and they'll obey. 